0: Good morning, City Lights. Morning. Great, to, uh, great to be back with you this morning. I, too, looked back and realized it is almost one year to the day uh, when I had a chance to preach here last. And I was thinking to the fact that that was Acts chapter 3 and realizing you all have been studying the book of Acts for a really <laughs> long time. And I recognize that for some people, you sort of like the four-week quick, let's do this and then let's do this and then let's do this. But let me just say well done on uh, the deep vibe you have taken into this study. I think there are some really special things the Lord does when his people just dig earnestly into his word and uh, excited to have a chance to pop back in a year later and pick up a little closer to the end of the story. Uh, Over the last week or so, I had a chance to go back and and listen to some of the last sermons that were preached, started with Eric, and that was fun, and then had a chance to listen to Alex's message from last Sunday, Uh, just a joy to pick up where these guys have left off. And I've entitled the message this morning, Devoted Even in the Desert. Devoted Even in the Desert. One of those sermon titles that just sounds super encouraging for a July summer morning, right? (laughs) Here's the hard reality of life is there are times where, even as a people of God, we find ourselves in the desert. We find ourselves in seasons where there is an, an isolation, a loneliness. There is this thirst in our souls that nothing seems to quench. For many of us, the last year and a half, has provided ample opportunity for us to feel like we've been in the deserts. We've watched our families, we've watched our children go through the deserts. And unfortunately, what often happens when we find ourselves, even as Christ followers, out in the middle of the desert, unfortunately, often we sort of set our relationship with the Lord on a shelf. We kind of get tired. We don't hear his voice. We don't know where he went. I just know circumstances in my life are crazy hard. And I just sort of chuck the towel, forget about my devotion to God, and try to fight my way through whatever it is I'm facing. Got a couple of counseling friends there. And I've been struck by both of them saying the same thing. One lives in Colorado, one lives in Ohio, and they said that the rise in the pain people are currently living in is is almost, uh, they're almost unable to manage everybody coming their way. People are depressed and discouraged. They're overwhelmed. Suicide, if you're paying attention to those numbers at all. It's a scary day for a lot of families who have found themselves in the middle of the deserts. And then I come to this lengthy passage of scripture we just read. And I look into the life of the Apostle Paul and the stuff this guy faced. You talk about desert-like seasons of life. The things that this man went through, and yet what we see in Paul is that he was devoted even in the deserts. And I know in my own journey, I read through this story and I think, Lord Jesus, help me to be a bit more like Paul. Because all too often when life gets a little challenging in my world, I'm ready to just chuck the towel We start reverting back to old patterns of life. My counsel friends both telling stories of how person after person is picking up the sin habits they once set down when they came to Jesus. Lives just being wrecked because they find themselves in the deserts and fail to stay devoted to Jesus. Now, If you're sitting here today and you're like, "Man, Kemp, my life is going well right now. It's just a beach, and I'm enjoying the days." That's awesome. The desert's probably still going to come at some point. And for those of you that would say, "Yeah, I'm I'm pretty far out to the desert right now," my hope is that the Apostle Paul's example could somehow spur us on, somehow call us to a a different way to journey through the desert. To set the stage for this, actually I'm gonna go back to uh, one of Alex's verses from last week. So if you'd start in verse 11, I feel free to do whatever I want with this. Alex gave like 50 verses to Eric. (laughs) He gave like 50 verses to me and he took 11. So while the women are doing their thing out there, Eric and I will be in a back room settling some things with Alex. (laughs) Acts chapter 23, verse 11. The apostle Paul is already in the midst of his trial. There are people who are accusing him of all kinds of crazy. He's been beat around, and he's now been locked back up in the barracks. And it says the following night the Lord stood near. In the midst of an absolute mess, the Lord stood near. And he said, take courage. Pause, you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. This is going to sort of be this, this thing in the midst message we need to hold on to. This this moment in Paul's desert experience where somehow the Lord stood near. Y'all, these are the moments we are watching for in our own lives. These are those moments that show up that we need to tether ourselves to, they become anchor points for our journey. The kinds of moments that we're regularly gonna need to look back to to remind ourselves of when Jesus stood near and the words that came out of his mouth that spoke into our journey. And we don't get an explanation for what this practically looked like. We don't know exactly what it looked like for Jesus to stand near. We don't even get a practical explanation for how did Paul know it was Jesus who said these words to him. The reality is this, when the Lord stands near and when he speaks into your life, you're not real concerned with how that practically played out. You just know, I I just know that I was just with Jesus. And I know that was his voice. And those moments in our lives need to become things we hold on to. We tether our very soul to those moments because when we find ourselves in the desert and circumstances are blowing apart and it feels like I just want to chuck the towel in, it's in that moment we come back and remind ourselves of the night the Lord stood near and the words that he spoke into our journey. This is the Apostle Paul hearing from Jesus. I got a plan here. (laughs) Attentive to the Lord. It's the first thing I'd for us to learn from Paul's example. Is that we would be a people who are attentive to the Lord. We're watching for those moments when he stands near. Now, just in case you're questioning my theology at the moment, I understand Jesus is right here Right now. I understand that you can't go anywhere and get away from him. Psalm 139. I I understand that, but there are moments all throughout scripture when there is some sort of extra sense of the Lord's presence. Right? In this moment, the Lord just came near. So, I don't know how you pay attention to this stuff. I don't know what you do with it when you have those moments. Here's my answer right here. I am not a journaling kind of guy. Like the thought of sitting down every day and writing about my day, and I went to Walmart today, and then I washed the car, and I had lunch with Ricky, and that would drive me nuts. But about 20 years ago, I started to simply write out those moments when it just seemed like the Lord stood near. Capturing whatever it is He spoken to my life. And I have been so blessed over the last two decades by being able to open a journal back up, go back to my tether points and remind myself Wait a minute, (laughs) circumstances are blowing apart, but here is what I know the King has said to me. One example of that, it's 2006. I am a lead pastor in a local Alliance Church up in Northeast Iowa. I had been serving in that church for a number of years at that point. I had just come back from a stint in Taiwan, and I was in one of those places of life where I'm all disillusioned. I'm disillusioned with the church. I'm certainly disillusioned with the American church. I'm disillusioned with my own leadership in the church. I felt like We were playing a game. I'm looking at myself as the pastor saying, crud, I'm the leader of this thing. I must be playing a game. I'm going through the rhythms. We're pulling off the 10 o'clock Sunday morning thing. We're doing it fairly well. But it doesn't feel like we're reaching people for Jesus. I don't know if disciples are, I was just a hot mess. And I found myself going on a trip out into Colorado, Rocky Mountain National Park. And I'm sitting up on top of the mountains, just me, in a moment where it was as if the Lord just came and stood near. And I'm pouring this mess out before Jesus. And I ultimately asked him, Jesus, would you say something to me? Because I need to know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I don't, I don't know what your moments have been like but it's like, the, it's like the storm cloud just peeled away for a moment and clears a bell. I heard Jesus say, honor the king and advance the kingdom. Honor the king and advance the kingdom. Might sound like a simple phrase, but it was one of the most life-giving moments I had had in a long time. Something I realized, I need to tether myself to that right there. Ultimately, it would become this sort of grid, this filter through which I would start to do life and decision making and leadership. And day after day after day, I was able to simply ask the question, does that honor the king? Does that advance his kingdom? If so, let's go. If not, I'm not giving myself to it any longer became a mantra that just sort of hung over my life. I wrote it in a journal and then I had an artist literally paint it on the wall of my office. Because it was such a tangible experience of the Lord standing near and giving me some direction. And I was like, oh, I can't can't forget this. Five years later, 2011, I'm back out in Rocky Mountain National Park. I have a little time to kill. I'm by myself. On the way into the park, I stop at Walmart in Loveland, Colorado. Walk into Walmart, buy a $7 fake leather journal. (laughs) Spiritual giants go to the Christian bookstore, and they drop $50 on the real leather with all the little bells and whistles. Walmart kind of guy right here. I go by this particular journal in Walmart. I go up into Rocky Mountain National Park. I find that spot. Because I'm like, man, this was a good place to meet Jesus last time. Let's just go see what happens again. I go up and I find that same spot. I pull this journal out and I started to write. I said, Jesus, this is where you told me to honor the king and advance the kingdom. And I simply wrote, now What? I don't know, but the clouds go whoop, and it's like the Lord just stood near. And he said, now do it for the district. I'm a local church pastor in Iowa. It's a part of the same district as Nebraska, Colorado, Kansas, and Missouri district offices up in Omaha. I'm a local church, I'm not a district guy. And he says, now do it for the district. At this point, I've got five years of living under this mantra of honor the king and advance the kingdom. Now do it for the district. We won't go into all of that story. He was gracious in it. It's fun to share. But I wrote that down. It's 2011, October. Long story short, uh, May of 2014, two and a half years later, I find myself sitting in an office, in district office, now charged with doing it for the district. Entered into one of the darkest, most isolating desert seasons I've ever experienced. Brand- kingdom position. The Lord's been speaking to me about this position for two and a half years. I'm now living it out. And it was one of the longest, hardest desert roads I've ever walked. Never been in professional counseling in my life. Kind of desert roads until that season. Hear that. Right, I'm, I'm living in what Jesus has said to me I'm supposed to be living into. And the desert road just got harder. It's been 15 years at this church in Iowa. These were our people. Everything that my kids knew, five of them, four of them with me today, I got five women here, so I'm trying to figure out if they show up at lunch. Do I get like the five women plus one thing for lunch? We'll settle that later. My five kids were all born there. Their friends were all there. And we are being called out of everything we know and love to enter into this new thing because I knew Jesus had to do it. And it just became an incredibly dark season. Had I not had my $7 fake leather journal (laughs) with my reminders of the day the Lord stood near, never would have made it through that season. But I was able to regularly pull this thing back out and say circumstances right now are horrific. (laughs) But I got an anchor point, because the Lord has stood near. I want to be attentive to Jesus. I wanna pay attention for those moments where the Lord just stands near. Verse 12, watch what happens next. Don't let my time spent on point number one here scare you for how long this is gonna take. (laughs) We do have a thousand verses to get through, but the next morning, right? Paul just had this mountaintop moment with Jesus. Jesus was just in the barracks with him, speaking into his life, sort of this spiritual high, man, life's gonna be great, starting tomorrow morning, I'm gonna wake up, sun's gonna, sh- gonna be shining, I'll get delivered out of the circumstantial disaster, it'll be great. Actually, the next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. More than 40 men involved in the plot who have the courage to go to the religious leaders of the day. Hey, Ricky and Alex, guess what? Me and my 39 buddies are going to go kill this guy and we need your help. You talk about a bad morning to wake up to. Again, sometimes as Christ followers, we get pretty disillusioned when we find ourselves in the desert. Because we can even have a moment with Jesus thinking that's going to now make everything great from this point forward. Truth is, the desert road just got longer and harder after the Lord stood near. I don't always understand that, but I do know Jesus had a plan and he told Paul, We're going to carry this thing out. What you're doing in Jerusalem, you're also going to do in Rome. Don't forget that. The nephew finds out about the story, goes to the commander, tells the commander what's about to happen. The commander builds a small army, sends a small army to get Paul out of the barracks, moves him from Jerusalem to Caesarea. Caesarea would have been the Roman capital of that region of Palestine. And going to now put Paul before sort of the next one up the ladder, the governor, this guy Felix. Paul goes on trial before Felix. The, the, the desert circumstances just continue. I want you to see Paul's response to the trial. Verse 13, chapter 24. Paul speaking to Felix, he says, They cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. Felix, I'm standing before you, and and none of this is true. What they have accused me of did not happen. I am innocent. Now, watch this. Would have been a prime moment for Paul to then shut his mouth. Right? He is in this mess. He's been in this mess now for a long time. A lot of people threatening to kill him. He has pled his innocence, and that would have been a great time to stop talking. If... His primary concern was to take control of his circumstances and get himself out of the mess. Felix, I'm innocent. You should let me go home. I don't know how you do when life gets a little challenging, but I'll grab a hold hold of the circumstances in my own grip so fast, thinking I am going to control my way out of this as quickly as I possibly can. My primary concern in my flesh is to get back my safety and comfort as quickly as I can. If Paul's primary concern was to simply get out of the desert, he would have declared his innocence, begged to go home, and then shut his mouth. It's not what he does. Felix, I'm innocent, but let me be real clear with you. I admit that I worship the God of our fathers. As a follower of the way which they call a sect, I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and wicked. So I strive always. <laughs> it's Paul saying, so my primary concern in life I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. In other words, for Paul, in the middle of the desert, his primary concern is is not figuring out how do I get out of this mess? His primary concern is how do I continue to live in devotion to my God? I want my relationship with him to be rights. Devoted, even in the deserts. I think Paul had come to a point where he would look at the circumstances of life and, and say, come what may, come what may, I strive to live in my devotion to God in my life come a lot of the hard stuff and I'm ready to chuck the towel. It's easier to just revert back to old patterns. It's easier to just set devotion to God on the shelf and be like, you know what, I'm going to do it my way and get myself out of this mess. Paul had had a moment with the Lord. Was attentive to that, finds himself in going even deeper into the difficult circumstances of life, and his primary concern was to still declare his devotion to God. Christ followers, I don't always understand why we go through some of the things we go through. I don't know why I entered into the exact thing Jesus told me to enter into and found myself in the darkest, loneliest place on, on the planet. My wife went into a long, hard desert. My kids went into a long, hard desert. Why did we just have to leave everything? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but, but Jesus stood near, and this is what he said to do. And so we do it seeking to be devoted, even in the desert. Now, at this point, maybe we, we want to take it a notch further with God. And, and all right, God, <laughs> Guy has been tested like crazy. He's, he's been on trial repeatedly. It's false accusations. He's declared his devotion to you. He's made it very clear that you are the center of his world, and that he's going to be faithful to you. This is... Point where, God, you're going to swoop in and you're just going to pluck him out of the mess and you're going to make everything great, right? Well, not really. In fact, Paul is going to stay in jail in Caesarea for another two years. And when he finally gets out of the jail in Caesarea, it's only because they're now going to transport him from there to Rome. where He's going to continue to be a captive for at least another two years. And so his desert experience from this point forward is at least four years longer. And when we get to the end of the book of Acts, we don't even know that he got out of it. He is still a prisoner. Few more freedoms, but still a prisoner when y'all are going to finish your study in Acts next year. (laughs) (laughs) Again, for me, four weeks in the desert, and I'm ready to claw my way out of this thing. Paul goes at least four years. Now, I don't want to steal somebody else's sermon, so don't, don't turn here, and that'll just count as we didn't really steal it, but let me read the very last verse of the book of Acts. It says, boldly and without hindrance, Paul preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Dude is four years into the desert and he is still boldly preaching the kingdom of God without hindrance and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. A man who had been attentive to the Lord, a man who was devoted even in the desert, and a man who persevered. I think it's what Christ's followers do. I think it's what happens when people have genuinely met Jesus, have come to a place of understanding what Jesus has done for us, and have entrusted our lives into his hands. It's what we do. Where else would I go? Who else would I devote myself to? This is the one who stepped into the sinful mess of my life and paid the price for my sins to set me free from that, to forgive me, cleanse me, and put me on a trajectory to eternal life. I must stay devoted to him. And come what may in life, for Paul, people want to kill me, all right. But I'm staying devoted to him. You want to keep me in jail for four years for nothing? All right. I'll stay devoted to him. I think it's the natural results of people actually coming to Jesus. In your flesh, though, the temptation is going to be to just chuck the towel. It's going to be to give up going to be to try to take control of circumstances and claw your way out. It's going to be to try to find the off ramp as fast as you possibly can. When the reality is, Jesus may have a plan. And sometimes it's it's a plan that's going to take you down the desert road. Seven years After moving into this role in the district office, I would tell you I love what I do more than anything I've ever done in my life. My wife and I are having more fun in our relationship and our journey together than ever before. I love to see my kids thriving in the life that the Lord has led them into. It's a beautiful thing. Not everybody gets to come out of the desert as quickly as I did. (laughs) But it all goes back to a moment with the Lord, captured in a fake leather journal, when Jesus stood near. Thankfully, in that moment, I was attentive. Threw a line to that little moment, tethered our souls to that, tethered my family's soul to that. Thankfully, chose to stay devoted. because I don't know where else i go. He's, he's Jesus, the savior of the world. Lord over all things and king of kings. And I'll journey with him.